speak, O Lord. You know, as we sang these hymns this morning, each of those were chosen for the new year. As we think about the coming of the new year and what we're praying for, the everlasting God is our hope and our rule and our authority. We, we, we will not be shaken because our trust is in Him and our hope is in Him. He is a fountain of love that will guard us and protect us in all things. And then, it is well with my soul. What a great hymn written by Horatio Spafford. I won't recite the story, although I like to tell it every time we sing it. I won't this morning. But I have that, the facsimile of him writing that on my uh, wall back in my office where he wrote it on a, a, the letterhead of a hotel and then beside it a copy of the, the uh, telegram that Miss Spafford sent to him back to Chicago after the, the ship had gone down and their children had been killed. And then uh, for Christmas, well, actually, they gave it to me for a birthday, I think. For birthday, my son and daughter-in-law gave me this beautiful, uh, I guess, scroll is the best way to put it, uh, to hang by the other one back there. That is the hymn itself, a facsimile of the hymn with notes and everything on it. So that's kind of a special hymn to me. But it really is an important hymn. When we get to that third verse, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. It is well, it is well with my soul. Praise the Lord, it is well with my soul. If those words don't excite you, not just a little bit, but a lot, then you need to check some things out in your own life. The reality that Christ's sacrifice has covered my sin completely, past, present, future, He has secured me in Him, in faith, in Christ for all of eternity. That is such a glorious thought. And Spafford sort of encapsulated it in that verse, but it's something that all of Scripture encapsulates for us also. It's something that our whole doctrine of the Christian life is about, that we believe that our God is able to save and our God is able to protect and our God is able to secure all those who are His. Now we'll also sing at the end... uh, I'll not, uh, when, uh, uh, when my faith, when I fear my faith will fail. Uh, that great hymn about security, he will hold me fast. And we'll talk about that as we come to it toward the end of the sermon today. But take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter. We haven't been in 1 Peter in a long time. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 and we'll also look at verse 11, just as, as sort of a closing. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. This is really the ending of, of Peter's letter. The, the, the things that follow after this are just some final greetings to those who are there and his uh, praying peace for all those who read the letter and all of those kind of things. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And, and there's just kind of that closing final greeting. But he really brings the thoughts of this letter to a close in verses 10 and 11. And the thing is, it's almost a summary of everything he said in chapters 1 through 5. He starts out this letter by by talking about who he's writing it to. And he's talking about those Christians who are in exile. He said, Peter, the apostle of Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion, 
in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And then he begins to talk about the fact that they are exiled. They have been scattered because of no other reason than their faith in Christ. They are being persecuted. They are undergoing suffering. They are undergoing difficult and tumultuous times. It even says in verse 6 of chapter 1, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So he starts the, the, uh, the book with trials and tribulations and and dispersion and exile of those who are in Christ. And it comes to a close with these words in verse 10 of chapter 5. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion or the power and the glory. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter is seeking to build assurance in the believers who are reading this letter's lives. Just as he is seeking 2,000 years later almost to build assurance in your life and in my life, in our walk with Christ. When we see times that are difficult and troublesome, when we see times that are, are, are hard, we sometimes get the idea that, well, maybe God doesn't love us because here we are suffering through this, going through whatever we're going through, whether it be a physical sickness or whether it be a, 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 a difficult time at, at work with our job or whatever it might be. We say, boy, if God really loved us, we wouldn't be going through this, don't we, many times. It's a total denial of what the Scripture says. Even when people persecute us, and we as American Christians know nothing about persecution, but let me tell you some of our brothers and sisters in the Middle East and in the Far East, they understand persecution because some of them are dying because of their faith in Christ. Some are being executed daily because of their faith in Christ. And many are in hiding because of simply the fact that they have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaim Him as Lord. They do what Paul said they must do. In Romans chapter 10, in order to be saved, you know, believe in your heart that God raised from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that's exactly what they do. And they're suffering because of that. And, and Peter says here, I want you to know that after you've suffered a little while. Now, we kind of want to read that and say, okay, that means there'll be a very short period of suffering. Doesn't necessarily mean that. When we, he talks about a little while, he's talking about our time on earth. Peter and Paul both are always contrasting our time on earth with our time in eternity. And our time in eternity is such a glorious, extended, non-ending, always there time that whatever is on earth is, is a little while. From our, de from our birth to our death, even if it's 90-something years, I got an email from a friend of mine down in St. Simons Island, Georgia, this, just yesterday, and he said... Uh, he said, you know, next month I turn 90 years old. I wrote him back and said, I hope that when I'm, if I make it to 75, I'm as sharp and clear as you are at 90, because he is. But, but his 90 years is a short period of time 
compared to the time that he will experience with Christ. So whether good or bad, whether happy or sad, whether suffering or in, in comfort in this life, whatever that is, it's going to be for a short period of time. And Peter wants us to understand that, that, that after you have suffered, you know what he doesn't say, and if you suffer, and if you happen to suffer, if you happen to go through hard times for a little while, he says, no, and after you have, Peter is, is assuming the fact that everyone who, as Paul said, desires to live godly in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. They will suffer. All those who desire to live in accordance with God's word, all those who have a desire to, obedient, to be obedient to him and walk with him in this life, they will suffer at some level, at some time, maybe their whole life. But after you suffered for a little while, Peter says, I want you to know that there are two reasons that you can have great assurance. Two reasons. Now, he gives us four uh, verbs, if you will, that describe what brings about that assurance, but those reasons. But there are two reasons that you can find assurance in this life. The first assurance, the first point of assurance, (laughs) assurance, security and assurance put together is assurance. Did you know that? When your head's stuffed up, your mouth doesn't always work right. The first point of assurance that brings security is simply this. He points to the character of God and His grace. You notice that? He says, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace. The God of all grace. He he points to God our Father, our covenant God, our, our covenant Father, as being a father who is not just a father with a little grace or a father who shows us some grace, but he points to them as the God of all grace. Grace, if we experience it, comes from the Father. Grace, if we know it in this life and we experience it in our life and the strength that comes from it, that grace comes from the God of all grace. That's who our Father is. He is a holy Father. He is a loving Father. But most above all, He is a gracious Father. He is a Father of all grace. That's His character. And when He says He's a God of all grace, He's talking about the fact that He is a giver of grace in every circumstance. Are you hurting? God's grace is there for you. Are you rejoicing? God's grace is a part of that in your life just as much. He's the God of all grace in all circumstances of all of life. Here's what Paul, uh, Peter wants us to understand. That if we're going to stand with assurance in this life, we're going to stand there because as we sang about this morning, not being shaken, He is our hope. He is our God. He is the one with whom we know we are loved by. If we are going to be secure in this life, It's going to be because we know who He is. We know who He is. We don't just know what He's like, but we know Him. We we know Him in a way that we can only know Him through Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus prayed for us. You remember that in the garden? When He said, "And, and I pray, Father, because this is eternal life, I pray that they may know You. Even as I know You and You know me, even as I am in You and You are in me, I pray, Father, that that you will know them and they will know you in an intimate way. And that means to know His grace. It means to experience His grace. It means to hold on to His grace. 
because he is a God of all grace. He's our Father. That's our first assurance. The, the second assurance is the fact, fact of eternal glory. The fact of eternal glory. He says this, he said, The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Since, since God has called them and called you if you are in Christ, then we ha- should have no doubt that this is going to happen. We should have no doubt that when our suffering in this life is over, albeit for a while, albeit for what seems like a long time here, but it's really just a little while, when this suffering on this earth is over, because we know the grace of God, and we know the God that is of all grace, and we have been called in Christ by Him, He has called us to His eternal glory. It is a settled fact. In other words, you can bank on it. If you're in Christ, you can trust in it. That's why next week we get back into Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, and we see that golden chain of salvation the Apostle Paul talks about. He starts before eternity and the past, and he goes all the way to eternity in the future, where he says, and those who are in Christ, and those who have been called, and those who have been justified, they have been glorified. There's a picture of the past tense, even in the present tense, because of the assurance and the security of who he is. I don't want to get in that sermon yet, but we'll get to it next week. The glory of his work. The glory of his power. And, and Peter says this, I want you to know because of his character and because of his call in your life to eternal glory, you can have assurance. You not, need not doubt it. You need not worry about it. It is secure. Now, now, there are four verbs or four things that the Apostle Peter says here that will be the source, if you will, to secure this assurance. There are four things that God will do. Now, I, I title this sermon A New Year's Prayer because I'm praying this for you. I, I'm not praying that you would be able to find this. If you're in Christ, these are secure things. These are absolutely true things that He will do and is doing and has done in your life already. But what I'm praying for in the new year is that we as a church at Grace would understand them to be realities in our life. And not that we would seek after them and hope for them because they're already there, but that we would understand them and rest in them and know them to be absolutely true. Know them to be what God has done at salvation and what God is doing in sanctification and what God will ultimately and perfectly do in glorification when we go to be in His presence. These are things that are sure. Peter doesn't say here, I I hope these things happen. He said, but no, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory will Himself do these things. Will Himself carry these out. He talks about restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. Peter is not saying, listen, work real hard to restore yourself. No, no. Work real hard to strengthen yourself. No, it's not what he's saying. He's not saying that these are things you have to pursue. These are things that are already real in your life that you need to learn to rest in and glory in and worship in and rejoice in because the God of all grace, the Father of all grace, is doing this in your life right now. As a present reality, as a past reality. And it's what will be a future reality when we see Him. First one, the word there is restore. Literally, that word means to to mend, 
or to repair or to fix that which is broken. I think it's kind of significant that that's where Peter starts because the word for restore that he uses there in the Greek is a word that is used to speak of mending nets by a fisherman. What was Peter? He was a fisherman. And so I think it's significant that the first word he uses to talk about what God has done and is doing and ultimately will do perfectly in your life is that he is restoring you. He is mending you. In Mark chapter 1, verse 19, as Jesus called his disciples, verse 19 says, And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending or restoring their nets. Same word used there. Only, only way it's used in the New Testament other than here is to talk about mending of nets, fixing of nets that have been torn because of a storm or because of a heavy catch, because they've gone through a difficult time in pulling in the fish, and they've torn, and now the fisherman restores and mends the nets. Peter's saying, listen, the idea here is that God will make you strong and firm and steadfast. God, by His grace, because He is the God of all grace, will work in your life to mend your life, restore it. Will you be broken? Yes. Are you broken? Yes. Will you struggle? Yes. But God is at work mending and fixing and repairing your life in every circumstance that you find yourself in. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry, is God going to do that? Peter says the God of all grace will himself restore you. Then there's the word confirm. It might carry a little different idea than what we sometimes think of as confirm. Usually when we think of confirm, we get a reservation. We make a reservation. We get an email or a letter or something or a confirmation number that says your, your, your reservation has been confirmed. And we know that now we've got a number to, to legitimize it. And we know that we got it. We're not going to lose it. It's there. Cares a little bit of that idea, but the idea that Peter's really wanting to, to concentrate on here is by confirming us, God has literally placed us on a firm foundation. On a firm foundation. That throughout the scriptures, it talks about Christ being the rock, it talks about him being our firm, firm foundation. And in, in Paul's writing and Peter's writing, they talk about us being built up into a temple by holy as holy stones, but that are laid on a cornerstone or on a foundation of Jesus Christ. That, that's the idea that, that Peter uh, is communicating here. You have been in Christ placed on a firm and solid foundation. It's not a foundation of sand, it's a foundation of rock. And you're going to stand there. I love that old hymn. I should have had them sing that this morning. But that old hymn, I won't sing it for you. You'll, you'll be happy for that. But the old hymn, you know it, how firm a foundation. It goes like this. I won't do the whole thing, but listen to this couple of verses. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can He say than to you He has said, who un to you unto who the Savior for refuge have fled? Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not, be not dismayed. For I am your God and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent 
hand. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient will be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you, I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. In other words, I've designed those flames of persecution. I've I've designed those flames of trouble, not to harm you, not to destroy you, but to purify you, to consume the dross and the sin that still remains, the struggles that you still have, in order to burn up the the dross and to refine the gold that God is placing in your life, preparing you for eternity. And so Peter says, I want you to know, he confirms us, he sets us on a firm foundation. The next word is is the word strengthen. He himself will strengthen us. This is the only place that particular word is used in all of the New Testament. It is used in in, in Job, in the Greek translation of the book of Job, when Job talks about a lion, the strength of a lion. He says that, that's the kind of strength that God possesses. I, I love the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis's uh, allegory of the Christian life based on those, those fantasies of, of the children going off, getting off the, into Narnia. But, but obviously my favorite character in all of Narnia is Aslan. Aslan the lion, Aslan the one who is, who is strong and powerful, Aslan who is the, the figure of Christ, the representative of Christ in those novels. He's strong. He defeats the white witch. He defeats all those who would seek to destroy the kingdom of God. He is a mighty, mighty, powerful lion who dies and is raised again on the stone tablet, if you remember, if you know those stories. But, but the point is that C.S. Lewis is wanting to show us that the risen Christ removes our fear of Satan and our fear of the world. If our firm foundation, our confirmation, and our restoration, our being fixed, is placed in Christ, the roaring lion, then we need not fear Satan. We need not fear the world. We need not fear persecution. We need not fear sickness. Our God is able. I love in that story, I almost used this a couple of weeks ago, another out of Roman, or out of our Christmas stuff, but I love in in one of the Chronicles of Narnia where Lucy is sitting with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and they're talking about Aslan. And as they're talking about Aslan, Lucy asked Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, said, He's a lion. is he safe? Is Aslan the lion, this mighty maned creature, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver looks at Lucy and says, safe? Heavens, no, he's not safe. But he's good. He's good. He's full of grace. He's full of all grace. He's not safe. A lion is never safe. And listen, Christ is never safe to those who stand against him. But he's good. He's good to those who are his. So he restores us. He repairs us. He confirms us. Puts us on a firm foundation. He strengthens us. 
as the lion stands with us and gives us his strength. And finally, Peter says, he establishes us. He himself will establish. We are made strong in the sense of being given a firm and fixed position. When something is established, we say that's fact. When a point has been established, it's not to be questioned. It's not going to change. It is a, a point of reference that is clearly defined and clearly present and, and clearly going nowhere. And when God establishes us, He puts us on that firm and fixed position. I love reading through the, especially the epistles, but even the Gospels, and finding all the places where it talks about our union with Christ. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. That is, a, that is an established position. That is the heart of the Christian life. We need not worry about losing that. We are in Him and He is in us and we are wrapped up by the Holy Spirit and we're in the protection of God the Father. The whole Trinity is guarding over us. We are established because of who He is and what He has done. Paul said this to the Thessalonian Christians in Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, he said, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. That's the point that Peter is making here. That we are in Christ, we, are, we have assurance, we have security because of the character of God. We have assurance and security because of the fact that eternal glory is ours because He has called us with an effective and effectual call to that glory. And we are experiencing that glory at least in a measure even in this life. Based on those four things, his restoration, his confirmation, his strengthening, and his establishment. So what does that do in our lives? What should that do to you and me? In 2020, it's still hard to say though, that, that, that number, that year. In 2020, what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with the fact that God has done a work in our life that is so amazing and so wonderful and so awesome, as, as the writer says, that, that his, and as I said, the, the, the psalmist in our call to worship, that, that how awesome are his deeds toward us, toward me, and toward us as a body. What are we going to do with that? Well, i tell you one thing we can't do with it, and that is sit back and say, hey, I got it. That's all that matters. Probably, if that's our attitude, it means that we really need to see if we really have it. You know, if we say, oh, man, God is securing me. God has saved me. God is a God of all grace, and God has called me to his eternal glory. <sighs> I have nothing else left in this life. We just sit back and wait. If that's your attitude, then you need to check and see if it's really real in your life. Paul te uh, Peter tells us, so used to saying Paul, forgive me, Peter tells us in that 11th verse what it, should ex what it should draw out of us. If we are trusting in the God of all grace, if he has called us to his eternal glory, and I even deal with glory, I don't have time for that this morning, we'll come back to it in Romans. 
If we're, we're called to His eternal glory in Christ, and He Himself has restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established us, and is still in the process of restoring and confirming and strengthening and establishing us, here's Peter's response. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. be real easy just to kind of read over that and say, he was just run out of things to say, and so he said that. It's not the case. What Peter does there in one short verse, in what? Five, six, seven, eight short words, is he worships. He gives an expression of doxology. An expression of worship that's based on the reality of the truth that he's just talked about in that, that verse 10, but also that he's expressed throughout this whole book of 1 Peter and, and that Paul deals with in Romans over and over again. He worships. To him be the dominion. Some verses put glory in there. Some verses put some translations put power in there. All three are summed up in that idea of dominion. To Him be the dominion, the power, the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peter just worships in that moment. I don't know what you experience when we come together on Sunday morning. I, I can't read your heart. I can sometimes, I don't, people often ask me why I sit down there facing this way. And I do it for two reasons. One, I just want to worship with the body. But two, I don't want to see your faces if you're not worshiping. It was too depressed me to get up here and then preach. I don't want to see faces that aren't joyously filled with the fact that, hey, I'm standing in the grace of Almighty God. I'm standing in the truth that He has protected me and He has guarded me and He is strengthening me and I know that He is working in my life, not just on the day He saved me, but in my life right now and will not give that up until the day I die and go to be in glory with Him. He is at work in my life and I cannot help but praise Him. Cannot help but worship Him. And worship doesn't end with just singing a hymn. Worship doesn't end with just being here with your brothers and sisters. That's an important part of it, by the way. But it doesn't end here. It, worship, as we've said for, for years here at Grace, worship is but the fuel for missions and evangelism. Worship, when we truly worship Him and say, God, you have done such a gracious work of grace in my life. I worship you. I praise you. To you be all glory and dominion and power forever and ever. Amen. i got to tell somebody about that. i got to tell somebody, not just what He's done in my life, but i got to tell somebody what He will do in their life as if, if they place their trust in Jesus Christ. So why do I preach this text on the first Sunday of 2020? Because here's what I'm praying for you and me in this year. And, and I honestly see this text as a part of what Red and I talk about almost daily. We want to finish well. We want to finish well the call of God upon our life at Grace Baptist Church. 
I don't want you to be a part of that finishing well. I want you to be a part of that worship because of what He's done in your life. And I want you to be a part of that worship that issues itself forth in missions and evangelism, where you work, in your neighborhood, in your family, but worshiping Him with such a glorious power in your life, such a glorious doxology, such a glorious explosion of thankfulness that you cannot help but tell others about it. 2020 will be a year of worship and missions and evangelism like we've never seen before. And we will gather as a priority every Sunday morning. It won't be a matter of, hey, I don't know, maybe I won't go today. I went last Sunday. I'll go next Sunday. No, that's that's not the heart of a Christian, folks. That's not the heart of a believer. Our believers, I can't wait to get with my family. I can't wait to get with my covenant family. I can't wait to get with those who share in this grace with me and stand with them and worship God with them and stand with them and pray to Him and stand to Him, stand with them and hear Him speak through His Word, whether it's the responsive reading or the hearing the Word of the, of the Lord or the call to worship or the sermon itself out of the Word of God. I can't wait to be together to worship to hear, to pray, to express, and then to go forth and be a part of His army in His kingdom for His glory in Somerset and beyond. That's my prayer for 2020. That's my prayer for me, and that's my prayer for you. I want to close with this. You may have seen it this week. I shared it as a post. I was going to put it in the grace notes, but I decided I'd share it with you this morning. It's that Puritan prayer entitled Year's End. But Year's End anticipates a year beginning, right? So it fits. Just listen to these words. Oh, love beyond compare, God Himself. You are good when you give. And you are good when you take away. You're good when the sun shines upon me, and you're good when night gathers over me. You have loved me before the foundation of the world, and in love you did redeem my soul. You love me still. In spite of my hard heart, ingratitude, distrust, your goodness, put grace there, has been with me during another year, leading me through a twisting wilderness, in retreat helping me to advance when beaten back, making sure headway. Your goodness will be with me in the year ahead. I hoist sail and draw up anchor. I like that image. I preached a sermon years ago, not here. There used to be a standard when I'd preach youth revivals. Pull in the oars and put up a sail. Based on John's gospel, it says the Spirit blows where it will, and we go where He takes us. That's what He's saying there. I pull up the anchor and I hoist the sail. With you as the blessed pilot of my future as of my past, I bless you that you have veiled my eyes to the waters ahead. That is, 
You don't show me everything that's coming. I bless you for that. I thank you for that, Lord. If you have appointed storms of tribulation, you will be with me in them. Think on that. You know what 2020 holds. But if you're in Him, if He has appointed storms of tribulation for you, He will be with you in the middle of them. If I have to pass through tempest of persecution and temptation, I shall not drown. If I am to die, I shall see your face all the sooner. If a painful end is to be my lot, grant me grace that my faith shall not fall, shall not fail. If I am to be cast aside from the service I love, I can make no demand. I can only, I only ask you to glorify yourself in me, whether in comfort or in trial, as a chosen vessel prepared always for your use. That's a biblical expression of how to face the future. Perhaps it means a little more to me now because I'm older. Perhaps it means more to me now that because there, there's a sense in which I'm, I'm not be, I don't see myself being cast aside from the service I love, but I'm, being, I'm, I'm voluntarily stepping aside from the service I love, but not from service. I don't demand anything of the Lord. I just ask Him to glorify Himself in my life. Whether in life or in death, whether in sickness or in health, whether in good times or bad times, Lord, glorify Yourself in me. Show Yourself through me to be a God of all glory and a God of all grace. And that's my prayer for you. Some of you are going to hit some tough times this year. Some of us are going to hit some tough times this year. Do you know the God of grace that will walk you through that? Let's pray together.